Hello and welcome to the Pixel Swim Podcast, episode 49. I am Steve Heinrich, your host, and this is the podcast where I take a dive into my personal journey through design and technology and where they meet, plus other tidbits I find interesting. This episode is being recorded and will be released on Thursday, December 27th, 2018. Visit Pixelswim.com for all of the show notes and social links if you want to follow along or reach out via any of the social media links are there as well or feedback on the show notes page. There's a comment section there. So yeah, that's that's all at Pixelswim.com. So yeah, let's just dive into our weekly notes, feedback and links. Uh, I actually have some links to share in the main section of the show here, but uh, let's go over all the feedback, all my notes and feedback for this week. I just wanted to say that I hope everyone had a great Christmas holiday. If you were celebrating Christmas this last Tuesday, the 25th, obviously. And yeah, just I hope everybody had a good one. I know mine was pretty good, even though my wife and I weren't feeling super hot. I was kind of I had a lot of stomach problems and I threw my back out. So not a fun few days starting last Saturday through Christmas, but I'm feeling much better now. But hopefully everybody else had a happy and healthy <laughs> Christmas day. So uh, I just want to say thanks to Guillermo Ortiz for his feedback. Uh, I kind of reached out last in the last episode asking about uh, people's favorite tech purchases of the year. And his is either the Nintendo Switch or the iPhone SE. So he not necessarily tied those ones, but he mentioned them both. So yeah, those are good tech purchases. And I just want to say thanks to Kyle Helms as well for his feedback after the last episode. He says, the he got a Roku or he he can't decide whether or not the he got a mesh router system as well and yeah that's pretty cool that's like that's a good big tech purchase for the year hopefully that's working out nicely for him and thanks to Frank Neathart for his feedback after the last episode uh, Frank was mentioning the Luke term 1917 journal book that I got that's kind of like a Moleskine empty journal book and he actually says he prefers the Luke term 1917, uh, which is a German label over the Moleskine. So, and he says Luke term, Luke term uh, actually means lighthouse in German. So thanks to Frank for reaching out for that. That's really, I did not know that. So that's kind of interesting. I told my wife that she thought that was pretty cool. So anyway, that's all the feedback for this week. And I just wanted to jump into some notes here that I have in my tech world. So I did tweet about this. I took photos with the Lumia 1020 at my niece's Christmas concert, and they didn't go super well. I tweeted about this. Uh, I I was trying to use the zooming convention on the Lumia 1020. I think I just kind of didn't utilize the camera to its best. I'm not exactly a, a, a pro photo or a pro photographer or mobile photographer. So still working on things, but it was just kind of a test run and to finally get the, the Lumia 1020 out into the wild with me. So and uh, just thanks to Keith Bartlett for his suggestion of pre-focusing and then snapping the photo because it does take a while to take a photo on the Lumia 1020, or at least comparatively to to devices these days. So thanks to Keith for that. I'm going to try that out again. This was kind of just the test run number one. The overall photos were really great, and they, they looked very detailed, and they worked well as a full composition. It was just the, you know, the zooming in. 
of on a subject, you know, my niece being the subject that did, I just didn't, couldn't quite get the, you know, what I was looking for out of the, the camera there. But I'm going to keep trying. That's just one event. So I'm sure I'll have more opportunities in the future to get that camera out and, and try it out a little bit more. But just thought I'd mention that. And uh, another kind of big thing that I've decided over this last week is I, I talked about on the last episode that I had just bought the Moto G6 Play. And I think I actually talked a little bit uh, in a chat with Guillermo Ortiz about the Moto G6 plays asking about it. And I was, you know, slightly raving about it to him there. But and it is a great device. Overall, it's just a really good device with the battery life is is really, really great. Easily two days. I think I got it into the third day when I had it when I was using it recently. Uh, not long after purchasing it, obviously, and the camera's pretty, you know, halfway decent, not not the greatest camera, it's a budget device, so, but it just, you know, there was something about it that overall, I think the pocketability and the feel of it, I just, I uh, just didn't feel quite right, you know, I just didn't, one of those devices I didn't quite click with as far as the the feel and the the overall package of the device, I feel like it just, I don't know, it just wasn't quite for me. <laughs> or maybe it is just a little bit too tall, a little bit too big. All those, the Moto G6 line is actually quite a bit taller this year. So I think there was something about that that just didn't, I don't know, it's just not quite fitting. So I've decided that I'm actually going to sell that on. I'm going to sell, I'm going to sell that Moto G6 Play uh, just because it's, I don't know, it's just not working for me quite right. And uh, I gave it a go, you know, I gave it a, a bunch of days after I bought it and it is it's yeah it's just not working out for me but this is kind of how I work sometimes when I'm looking to replace a device but I'll let everybody know when I post that I'll probably post it on Twitter when I get it listed I, I could return it to Best Buy technically but they have a, a ridiculous 30% restocking fee for uh, just right off the top for his cell phone or smartphone returns so not the best return policy at Best Buy as far as that goes, but so I'll probably be putting this on Swappa and uh, for, you know, obviously for less than I paid for it, but and it's still in mint condition. So but I'll let everybody know when that's posted. And if you're interested, reach out and let me know. Otherwise, I'll be sharing that link on on Swap or on Twitter, the Swappa link on Twitter. So but with that said, for now, I uh, I actually started while I was using that Moto G6 Play, and this is part of why I decided to kind of move on from it, was that I was starting I was starting to miss the LG G6. So that's the one that I swapped out the battery in the back glass. And, and so I put my SIM back in that, I think, on Christmas Eve, just because I was kind of wanting that phone back. I, I just the experience of it was just overall kind of fitting, you know, fit with me a little bit better, the interface and the hardware and the size of it and everything like that. So I put it, put my SIM back in there. And <laughs> it's another thing that I'm doing because I got the Moto G6 Play because of the battery life. And so what I did on the LG G6 is you have the option to, and a lot of phones have this now, to toggle the battery percentage in the status bar next to the battery icon. And so I've always had that on, on the LG G6 so I can monitor the battery percentage. and I, I kind of do it a little bit obsessively. That's part of why I wanted a, a device where I didn't have to worry about the battery percentage so much. But I turned it off on the LG G6. And honestly, <laughs> it's it's kind of weird how much of a difference that actually makes as far as not 
really worrying too much about the battery and kind of keeping my use the same and kind of realizing, you know, that's it's it, it is a bit of an obsessive thing that, I you know, that I that I take into account with with bones is, is watching that battery percentage. And so turning it off will help me use the LG G6 without worrying about the battery life so much. So that's kind of where I am for now. And so I, I like I said, I'm, I think I'm just going to stick with that G6, the LG G6 for a while now. And at least for now, you know, keep my eye out kind of a thing. And I'm probably going to order a battery case for it for any sort of long days that I have out of the house. And so that way it will, it will cover, you know, a, a battery charging case will cover any issues that I may have with with the battery draining during the day while I'm out. So I know there are cases with an extra that you can get with an extra 5000 milliamp hour battery. And I know that uh, I think in the past I've talked to Tom Stewart about him and his S8 plus his Galaxy S8 plus and how he I think he's taken it on a vacation and, and got a, a battery case for it and, and you know just helps it to last all day without having to worry so and the other thing i'm doing with the g6 is i always had the incipio dual pro case on it which is kind of a thicker bulky case i actually have when i originally got the g6 i bought a cruiser light bug droid case which is like a nice tpu case for that so i put that back on uh, which actually makes the phone way less bulky and so it's very pocketable it's this i don't know it's just been <laughs> it's almost like been a joy to use going back to it. it's like it took the g6 play to kind of open my eyes to the features of the g6 and the overall form factor and just that it, i really like using it so yeah i'm back on the g6 for now <laughs> and really that's not a bad thing sticking with the lg g6 especially after repairing it myself you know it's like <laughs> some sort of technological bond with it now so I just will be hanging out to it and using it for a while longer, at least. So, all right. So the last bit of notes that I have here are that I I went over my eBay list, my eBay purchase history for 2018 on the last episode. And so I have to add one more thing <laughs> that I just ordered today, which is the 27th, is I've been looking at getting a pair of Bluetooth headphones over-the-ear style, not necessarily like earbud or sport type. And so I've been, I've over time, I've kind of just looked here and there. And so I decided to finally order a pair of Marshall Major 2 Bluetooth headphones. And so the major, the major selling point of these is that they're very stylish. <laughs> they're very Marshall-esque if you're, you know, into the Marshall style of amps and and music equipment, it's these are very much in that category. And so Marshall is a, you know, obviously a very good brand for audio equipment. And so I thought I would go down that route for these Bluetooth headphones. Plus, they have a 30 hour battery life, uh, which is really, really great for I and from what I've seen, that's pretty good for over-the-ear headphones like these. Uh, I know my wife has a pair, I think they're called the Jam Transit headphones, which are over-the-ear uh, Bluetooth headphones that she uses. I think they are 11-hour battery life. So this is, you know, almost three times as, as much battery life. But And also another cool feature on these Marshall Major 2 Bluetooth headphones is there's a knob control on the headphones, and it's kind of like... Think of like the joystick on a PlayStation controller or something to that effect where it has one of those on one of the, the ear cups and you can go back and forth 
uh, like skip skip song or go back a song or raise the volume up and down. And then I think if you push the little knob, it play and pause and that kind of th- does the play and pause and that kind of thing. So, yeah, just a, I thought they were a pretty cool quality looking pair of uh, Bluetooth headphones. So I decided to just get those. They were forty nine dollars. And so I thought that the price was right. The, the style was right. I watched a couple of YouTube reviews on them and there honestly wasn't much bad to say about them the audio quality is i guess tends to lean a little bit towards the bassy side of things but i'm not too picky about that i'm definitely not an audiophile so i just <laughs> we'll see once i get the headphones and and try them out and see how they how they work out as far as audio and all the types of things that i'll be listening to so i'll put them through the paces and i probably won't have to worry too much uh, about the audio quality uh, I, I expect you know decent from Marshall but I'm not like I said I'm not uh, overly critical of of audio quality but we'll see I'll definitely report back on those when I get those in those should be here I think next week so hopefully I'll have something to say about them uh, on the for the next episode so and of course I'll put a link to where I got those the exact listing for those that I got on eBay in case you want to check those out and it's a pretty good deal for 49.99 so 50 bucks for a pair of what looks like pretty good bluetooth headphones but yeah so add that to my list <laughs> again check out the show notes for a link to that uh to the continuation of my ebay purchase history hopefully that's it for 2018 but we shall see i'll, I'll of course let everybody know on the other side of the new year whether or not there was any other ebay purchases so anyway All right, so let's go into the main topics here. Uh, I have got a few articles, a couple of which I will read. But the first one is the I wanted to share this link because I found it very useful. And it's basically a link to an article or a list on makeuseof.com, which is actually a super useful website. They have a lot of good uh, resources there for accomplishing things like technological things <laughs> or whatever you want to call them, uh, your digital life to to help with that. So this one specifically is to a page called the best Windows software. And it looks like this was updated in March of this year. But either way, I just came across it. But there's a lot of software on here for Windows that I hadn't necessarily come across. But it's a, what really what it is is just a really good compilation of a bunch of Windows software. And I believe it's all free. I could be wrong, but the majority of it is. And basically software on Windows that you can use for a bunch of different categories, a bunch of tools to use for a whole bunch of different categories from, I'll just read some of them here. The the categories are antivirus software. We got malware removal, firewalls, defragging, file recoveries, uninstallers, backup and sync, PC maintenance, browsers, email clients, communications tools, image viewers, image editors, audio tools, video tools, files and drives, online files, storage tools, text editing, PDF tools, ebooks, productivity, optical and disk image tools download tools and other miscellaneous stuff. So it's really like I like I was saying, it's a really good compilation of a bunch of good Windows software for accomplishing a bunch of different things. And I definitely have this bookmarked in my browser now because there's a lot of good resources here. And and part of why I was I wanted to share this, too, is because 
I've been thinking about setting up a Plex server for all of our media that we have in the house here. We've got a whole bunch of DVDs. And so I'm thinking about getting those all onto into digital format and onto a Plex server. And so I've actually been running some testing, you know, with a with a few different DVDs and then just running the Plex server on my laptop and testing that out on the Roku streaming stick. And it, Plex has come a long way <laughs> since I've used it. It's, I've used Plex, I think, ye- I'm not sure how many years ago. It feels like at least a decade ago or maybe maybe not that long. But either way, Plex has come a long way and they've really got a great system set up. And it's exactly as you would hope it would be uh, for streaming your digital content that you have on your PC or any sort of server that you set up. And so, like I said, I've been just just been trying to test it out on my laptop. Obviously, the laptop needs to be open (laughs) and running for the Plex server to for you to be able to access the content on the drive. So I, you know, for now, that's kind of just how things are. And so I've actually looked a little bit at potentially getting a like a mini PC to hook into the network and put all this stuff on a drive and just run the Plex server. So th- so I have something that's constantly running uh, and that, you know, affordable and, and easy to, to run. And I actually want to potentially put all of our digital music content that we that we have currently, which isn't as big a deal right now because my wife uses Spotify. So she, her music library is kind of just becoming uh, set up and built there where she used to have an iPod with all of her music on it. And somehow along the way, the computer, all of it was synced to all we lost, you know, wasn't on any sort of iTunes or hard drive on a on a PC. So actually pulled it all off the all of her music off the iPod and have been going through trying to get all the files kind of renamed and into some sort of structure uh, because when you pull when you know when the songs are on the iPod they get distributed and randomly renamed into randomly named folders and so there are actually tools in this best window software uh, link that I'll be posting at pixelswim.com where you can rename from the ID3 tags, I believe is what they're called in the in the MP3 files themselves. So you can basically pull in the artist and album and song name information and, and rename the files that way. And, and I've had other ways to do this. I, I've shared bulk rename utility in the past, which actually can read some of the ID3 tags, but it actually I, I've had trouble getting the whole thing the whole library that I've I've pulled off our iPod to rename those files and get some sort of structure. But that's kind of that's a big reason why I came I, I was going down this this list of best window software is the, some of the tools that they list on there for managing your music library and stuff like that. And it's just overall really great, great list of things to to look through if you're a Windows user, because there's so many tools out there that are hard to come across if you don't have a compilation list like this. Uh, Googling things can get a little iffy, you know, when you start getting into the the malware, malware and virus stuff, you know, as far as downloading these exe files, you never know what you're getting. So luckily, you know, through an article like this, you can, you know, be be pretty rest pretty assured that you're not going to get infected, you know, with anything. So, but yeah, check out the show notes for that link. 
definitely a, a good list to go through if you're a Windows user just to see if there's something on there that can make your life a little easier, you know, or a free solution to something maybe you're paying for, some kind of a thing. So, yeah, check out the show notes for that. All right, so the next article that I wanted to read is called The End of the Ad-Supported Web. What if we got the business model of the web wrong? And so this is an article by Julian Genestowe, who is a the CEO and founder of UnlockProtocol.com. And he's in New York, apparently. And this is on Medium. But I just wanted to read this article because uh, <laughs> I you see more and more these days about tracking on the web and ads on the web and just how terrible things have gotten. And so I just wanted to read this article because I think it kind of deals with the overall picture of kind of where the web is headed and kind of how advertising has, hasn't has really been an effective way for a sustainable web. But either way, I'm going to just read this article for you. And again, that's the end of the ad-supported web. The article says, For the last 20 years, every consumer-oriented application, service, or content platform used ads as its default business model. Like always, the road to hell has been paved with good intentions. We assume that the mostly innocuous billboards could be transposed to the web, but these banner ads quickly became endless Trojan horses into our privacy, feelings, and opinions. Our naive content-wants-to-be-free approach failed to account for externalities, including the fact that hostile organizations are influencing us through our media consumption. Using ads to support content creation is not working anymore, whether it is from a purely technical aspect when more and more of the provisioned ads are not being displayed from an economic standpoint where outside of a shrinking number of large platforms, nobody is able to even scrape cents per hour spent staring at ads. Technical challenges. Delivering relevant ads has always been the main challenge for ad platforms. As we're reaching unparalleled capabilities when it comes to picking the right ad for each user, new technical problems are making even displaying the ads much harder. Ad blockers have been around for a little while, but there is no denying that their impact has been growing vastly in the last couple of years. If anything, the constant alerts to disable ad blockers demonstrates that they are having a real impact. On top of the individual use of ad blockers, we're starting to see institutions enter the arena. The most notorious example is Apple, who started to tighten the use of third-party cookies in Safari, as well as open the gate to ad blocker on their app store. Of course, Apple's effort can easily be dismissed when confronted with the fact that Apple apparently sells $12 billion worth of search users to Google every year. The hypocrisy is, of course, not limited to Apple, since several ad blockers have been caught selling user data or even showing their own ads instead of the ones picked by the publishers. On that same front, a couple of years ago, the innovative French ISP, Free, decided to block ads by default on its latest modem. This move, too, was motivated by more than just a sudden care of users' privacy, but it shows how blocking ads is technically easy to implement at large scales. The numbers are clear. Ad blockers are growing in popularity, and they're also followed by increasing use of VPN and other privacy-enforcing techniques, which are making ads less relevant and effective. 
The ad industry has been one of the most creative when it comes to tracking users. For example, did you know that by combining email tracking and banner retargeting, ad networks that you've never heard of know your full identity, including your full name and personal information across all the web. But the rules of what is possible are now being superseded by the rule of law. Europe's GDPR has been such a game changer that six months in, several U.S. media sites are still blocking traffic from Europe and foregoing the corresponding ad revenues because they understand that they are not compliant. And as Robin Burjohn puts it, there is still a very real chance that even the largest ad tech companies might soon be exposed to massive legal action economic challenges. The technical challenges exposed above are adding friction for medium, small, and indie creators. Smaller websites and applications do not have the resources to block the blockers, or more importantly, to implement native forms of ads which cannot easily be blocked. Many have exposed that both Apple's ad blocking crusade and Europe's GDPR are in fact reinforcing the duopoly. By increasing the cost of compliance, these efforts are excluding organizations who could not amortize them through massive scale. It shows that once more, protecting the consumer is a great way to decrease competition by ejecting small players and empower incumbents. At this point, Google and Facebook already capture more than 90% of the digital ad market growth. Amazon is obviously the elephant in the room here, but the data is clear. Anyone else trying to monetize their content with ads will be fighting an uphill battle going forward. Even when they are large enough that they can have direct, a direct sales team, platforms like Twitter or Snapchat seem to be struggling to make ads work. The most upsetting part of this new landscape is the companies which control ad revenues are also the ones which control traffic distribution. Ad revenues are realized when ads are matched with visitors, but these days both ads and visitors are actually coming from the same few giant tech companies. Google and Facebook represent 75% of external referrers. I will not go full MBA on you, but you don't have to be Michael Porter to understand that if your suppliers and buyers are the very same people, your bargaining powers are at best limited. But let's go one step further and ignore externalities one last time. Are ads even a good way to capture value? Clearly, given that they know everything about us and that we also give them nearly one hour per day, they must be killing it, right? Well, they make $2 per user per month. Anticlimactic. <laughs> so much data, machine learning, and engineering work for a miser miserable yield. It turns out that people spend as much time on Netflix than on Facebook, about 50 minutes, but Netflix makes $30, $30 per quarter five times as much, with virtually no tracking beyond what movies a user has watched. They actually don't even require your real name, apparently, as long as you pay. So, even from a purely economic standpoint, ads are a terrible way to capture value, and of course, harder and harder for smaller publishers and creators. Essential Challenges Now, as an engineer, I know that we could still find ways around the technical challenges. And as an entrepreneur, I know that there are other ways to monetize creation, whether it is content or software that is not ad-based. But as a citizen, I start to question the very premise of what advertisement is all about. Someone else is paying for the stuff that I am consuming. But why? And what does it eventually lead to? The quick answer is that whoever pays for the stuff we consume has a message to communicate. Some product we don't know about it, that is great. This service just got cheaper. That politician's economic policies have been disastrous. Like everyone else, these advertisers are looking for better returns on their investments, and the data is clear. Ads tend to work better 
when they are more retargeted. This obviously leads to privacy invasion and eventually surveillance. Are we really willing to let go of some of our most basic rights for our right to information and knowledge? Advertisers rightfully want to drive down the unit costs of their ads. Who would not try to achieve the same goals at a lower price? But doing so also means that on the other end of that relationship, the incentive of the publisher becomes to increase the volume of ads they display. As such, in the ad-supported web, the incentive for the creator is to create more content, not better content. All of the metrics we used, whether it's CPM, cost per click, or performance conversion, eventually all boil down to how much attention can this content take from consumers. This started with the information overload complaints from 20 years ago and continued with the incessant slideshows, notifications, clickbait, and eventually fake news. Everything that can steal a couple more minutes of the free web user's time is financially rewarded. The content itself becomes an excuse for the ads that surround it. What if we got all this wrong? What if instead of volume, we rewarded quality? What if creators were being paid based on the value they create for their consumers, rather than based on the attention they steal from them? Ads are not viable anymore for most web creation. They are now becoming less delivered, less relevant, and less profitable, as well as increasingly more detrimental to the whole web ecosystem. When they are the default choice for any kind of online monetization, they are sometimes turning into a liability for the websites which display them. It is time to remember that if content is free to consume, it must not be very expensive to produce. As a society, we should now understand that if you pay peanuts, you get monkeys. Building an ad-supported web was misguided and it is now slowly starting to collapse under its own absurdity. However, we should not rejoice until we have been able to ensure that creators are paid for their work. They alone are changing the status quo and moving our world forward. All right, so that was uh, that's a pretty good article. That's a pretty good take on kind of where the ad-supported web is going. Uh, I think we've all seen the pain that the ad-supported web has become and the, the fact that you want to use an, an ad blocker. The fact that these websites are seeing these ad blockers and, and suggesting you turn them off, you know, for that. I don't know. It's just the, the trade-off is not, hasn't become good enough anymore for them, for an ad supported web. And I do think that things are hopefully changing better for the better for all of us. So anyway, I thought I would read that article and I'm also going to share this other article. I'm not going to read this one. This one's uh, considerably longer, but it's called the state of web browsers, 2019 edition. And this basically goes over I mean, it's in the title there, but it goes over the state of web browsers. And it's by Ferdy Christiant, who is a web developer and photographer. And I'll read the the beginning of it just so you can get an idea of what it's about. So I guess this is based off of uh, another article that he wrote about the state of web browsers. But he, he said, two days ago, I published a bittersweet article on the state of web browsers, triggered by the news that Microsoft would abandon their Edge HTML engine, replacing it with Chromium which was the final nail in the coffin effectively establishing Chromium as the web's engine, combined with Safari's WebKit. The only resistance to this monopoly, Mozilla, finds itself without any significant allies or traction to counter this development. And so that's uh, what the original article about was about. 
And so he also goes on to read this small part here to kind of get an idea of what this one is about. He says, back on point, why a second article? He says, I want to address the depressing part of the original article. If you were brave enough to read it to the end, you'd notice the lack of a happy ending. You could be under the impression that the web is a lost cause, the open web in great danger, and that we've returned to medieval IE times. It would take the greatest of optimists to wade through that article without it ruining your day if you care about the web. I cannot change the fact that the road to chromium webkit dominance was messy or even abusive. It is a questionable history that will not be undone. We're going to leave this one to the lawyers, be sure. But sure enough, those browsers aren't going to be uninstalled. It's a done deal. In this article, we're going to accept the new state where Chromium dominates the web and look ahead to see what Chromium dominance means for users, developers, and the open web. The spoiler is, of course, that there's plenty of reasons to be happy, optimistic, and even excited about this new state, even if the new state comes into existence in unfair ways. So yeah, check that link out in the the show notes here because it's another if you you know it's all of this stuff i've kind of touched on in the past and goes over a lot of really good information about where we're at with web browsers and what that means for everybody so i won't go over too much more of my thoughts on that i'll just leave that to everyone to read over really good article again i believe this is on medium as well and yeah all right, so let's wrap things up here. That is the, the episode 49 of the Pixel Swim podcast wrapped up. So I hope you, everybody enjoyed it. If you have any feedback, go to pixelswim.com. There are, there's a comment section on the show notes page. You can leave a comment there. You can email me at steve at pixelswim.com or find my social links at pixelswim.com and, and shoot me a message if you'd like any to leave any feedback. Always appreciated. And yeah, we'll be back next week for episode 50 (laughs) i can't believe we made it and it'll be the new year so i hope everybody has a great and happy and safe new year stay safe out there and uh, enjoy it i know i will do my best to do the same me and my wife or my wife and i i'm sorry and yeah as always it's appreciated that you tuned in so have a great champagne popping or streamer popping or wheelie popping (laughs) or whatever kind of new year's you're gonna have have a great new year's night or whatever time it is when you're listening to this so thanks again and god speed